up here. It's good to get close to the altar. Come on. Mm-hmm. It's good up here. And I would challenge you, as we're here praying selfishly for my brother and, and her brother, I, I would, there's got to be somebody. There's got to be somebody that you know that you touch, that you touch in your lives that that's not, that's not here this morning. You know? It's missing out. You know? So pray for them people. That's what our great commission is. So let's lift those people up. No man left behind. Hey God, I want to thank you so much, one, for, for Michael and his spirit and how his goal is just to reach the people around him. And God, I just pray, I want to pray for both their, his brothers and Samantha's, and Samantha's brother and really all the loss that we have around us, God. We know that you are ultimately the only source of true life, life abundance. And I just pray that whatever it takes through us, may revival start with us, it spreads and overflows to those that are in closest contact with us, God, that we can really see lives change forever. And forever by meaning their eternity and their history is rewritten. And so I pray for over their, their brothers. I pray for everybody else in this room that those who are in, we are in contact with, that we are a light, that a beacon, that, we, that they can see who Christ really is, the Christ who came and died for us. That when we are in the darkest places and the hopeless places of our lives, at rock bottom, you said, you know what, I, st- I still love you and I'm, I'm come to save you. And I pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, good morning again, and um, I'm so glad that you guys are here. I know we have, you know, like Brittany's at home sick, um, so I had to bring all the babies with me this morning, and we have several other people who are sick and doing those last-minute vacations, so I'm glad that you're here, and sorry that the screens keep flashing. I did an update, and I don't know what in the world's going on, but we'll figure it out one day, all right? So just bear with me, but um, I'm going to have to move really, really fast, um, because like I said last week, we're going to try to cover two chapters of John. And um, when I got into putting this together, doing the final thing, I was like, oh, this may be like a two-day sermon. I don't know. So we'll see what we can do. So sit tight. I'm going to move fast. But I want to start by telling the story of Janelle Guzman McMillan. Okay? And you're like, who in the world is that? And uh, it's okay that you don't know, but... Um, it's a, she's a woman from Trinidad who moved to New York City to live the American dream. Uh, working at the World Trade Center on September 11th when the terrorist attacks happened, um, she found herself trapped under millions of pounds of concrete and steel, only able to move her right arm. And outside um, of her hair ripping from her scalp as the debris shifted around her, there was n- nothing but silence around her. Nothing but silence. She was trapped by more than debris, though, she was, she was trapped by darkness and hopelessness, prayerful, but hope was fading, she said. For 27 hours, she lay trapped. And when she was about to give up the fight, she heard this voice. She heard this voice at just the right time say, hey, my name is Paul. Just hang on. I'm going to get you out of there. Right? Now, where she was physically... Many of us find ourselves spiritually in silence, darkness, uh, trapped in a cycle or a system that by all appearances are hopeless, and we just need a voice to call us out and rescue us from, from the debris and the weight that's on top of us, because some of us are carrying a weight that we were never meant to bear, a weight that was, was, was never intended for us to bear, and even though sometimes that weight that we're carrying, we've placed on ourselves, all right? By all appearances, we're hopeless, and we need a voice to call us out to rescue us from the debris and from the weight that's, that's on us. And the good news that our friend Paul wrote to us, he said this in, in Romans 5.8, the 
uh, Romans 5, 6, he says this, for when the time was right, just like with this woman stuck during 9-11, for, for when, the, when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who are entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save, to save themselves. Now, who of us, of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We, we can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place. He was the voice calling through the darkness. Love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And then a little bit later, Paul would write to us in, in Galatians 3.23, he would say, so until the revelation of faith for salvation was released, the law was just a jailer holding us as prisoners under lock and key until the faith, and the reason that's in parentheses now is he's talking about Jesus, which was defined by reveal. Uh, let me start that over. The key until the faith, which was, was destined to be revealed, would set us free. And it goes on to say in Galatians 4, 3, So it is with us when we were juveniles, when we were enslaved under the hostile spirits of the world. But, but when that era came to an end and the time of fulfillment had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the written law. Yet all, the, all this was so that that he would redeem and set free all those held hostage to the written law so that we would receive our freedom and full legal adoption as his children. The law, hold, if, you're, if you're not followers of Christ, the law holds you accountable. But under, but, under, but under Christ, Christ and this grace, you're under grace now, right? So out of the bondage you're in, out of the cycle of hopelessness, Christ is calling you out. He is calling you out. Out of bondage you're in, out of the cycle of hopelessness you're in, Christ is calling you out to freedom this morning. So we read last week about a man who um, Jesus healed from blindness, right? You remember that? See, after the religious leaders interrogated, interrogated, interrogated the man, the man pretty much defended Jesus because his story was, was rewritten, right? Not that Jesus needed defending he was defending Jesus. Remember when he said to the, <laughs> to the Pharisees, he said, why are you asking me all these questions? Do you want to be his followers too? And that just like really ticked them off, right? <laughs> he, 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 they, so they cast this man out of the temple. And in the Greek, in the Greek that word cast out is exabelon. And I, don't know, I probably didn't say that right because I'm a country hick, right? But, which implies more than just being kicked out of the temple. It means that he was, he was excommunicated. He was unsynagogued. It's had a huge repercussion socially, right? Because the temple was the center of everything. Life at the, life at the temple was the this, this central point where the gathering place for everyone. And so now not only is he kicked out of the temple, but he's kicked out of the very system, the cycle that he grew up in, right? And about that time, Jesus found him and spoke to him so loud you know, I almost think Jesus did it on purpose, but spoke loud enough for the religious leaders to hear him. And it, you remember he had another confrontation with some of these religious leaders. And we're going to go back uh, and read that part and read into chapter 10 because chapter 10 is really a continuation of the same story, right? So let's go back in John 9, starting in verse 39. It says this, And Jesus said, I have come to judge those who think they see and make them blind. And for those who are blind, I have come to make them see. Some of the Pharisees were standing nearby and overheard overheard these words. They interrupted Jesus and said, you mean to tell us we are blind? I love what Jesus said here. If you would just acknowledge your blindness, then your sin would be removed. 
But now that you claim to see, your sin remains with you. Right? Now we're going into chapter 10. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, listen to this eternal truth. The person who sneaks over the wall to enter into the sheep pen, rather than coming through the gate, reveals himself as the thief coming to steal. But the true shepherd walks right up to the gate. And because the gatekeeper knows who he is, he opens the gate to let him in. And the sheep recognize his voice, recognizes the voice of the true shepherd, for he calls his own by name and leads them out, for they belong to him. To the pen is a system or the cycle of that time. Those, those sneaking over the fence, you can, they, some commentators say it would be Jesus re- referencing the re- religious leaders. And these leaders were keeping people trapped in a system that, 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 that Christ was trying to free them from, right? And many of us have come in here and we found ourselves in systems or cycles that we, 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 just, we think we can get out of it, but we can't. Like, the system really that was put into place, and we'll read a little bit more about it here in a second, but the system that was put into place was really to show us that we couldn't meet the standard of God. But what do we try to do oftentimes? Well, we gotta, I got to clean myself up before I come back to church. I got to clean myself up before I can come to Christ. And he's like, no, no, you'll never be good enough to come meet with me. In fact, the law, the, the law was to show us how really depraved we really, really were. That's why Paul would tell us in Romans 3.20, he would say, for... For by, the, by, for by the merit of observing the law, no one earns the status of being declared righteous before God. For it is the law that fully exposes and unmasks the reality of sin. But now, going on to Hebrews 8.6 says, But now Jesus the Messiah has accepted priestly ministry, which far surpasses theirs, since he is a catalyst of a better covenant, which contains far more wonderful promises. Verse 7 says, For, it, for if that first covenant had been faultless, no one would have needed a second one to replace it. But God revealed the deficit and limitations of the first when he said to his people, look, the day will come, declares the Lord, when I will satisfy the people of Israel and Judea by giving them a new covenant. It will be an entirely different covenant than the one I made with their fathers when I led them by my, by my hand out of Egypt, for they did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I rejected them, says the Lord. The weakness was not in the covenant itself. It was with us in our human nature. We couldn't meet the standard. For, here's, for here is the covenant I will one day establish with the people of Israel. I will embed my law within their thoughts and fasten them onto their hearts. And I will be their loyal God, and they will be my loyal people. And the result, and the result of this will be that everyone who knows me as Lord... There will be no need at all to teach their fellow citizens or brothers by saying, you should know the Lord Jehovah, since everyone will know me inwardly, from the most unlikely to the most distinguished. For I will demonstrate my mercy to them, and I will forgive their evil deeds and never remember, remember again their sins. This proves that by establishing, establishing this new covenant, the first is now obsolete, ready to expire, and about to disappear. Here's what all this means, is that the true shepherd, he knows you by name. In fact, he knows everything about you. And so here's the freeing truth. Christ knows everything about you and still calls you his own. In fact, he calls you out by your name, right? He knows you so well. Luke twelve six says this. Are not five sparrows sold out for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why even the hairs of your head are numbered? 
That's how well he knows you. Fear not, you are more value, have more value than many sparrows. And I love how this other translation translates this passage. Okay, so the next one says, what is, what is the value of your soul to God? Could your worth be defined by an amount of money? God doesn't abandon or forget even the small sparrow as uh, he has made. How then could he forget or uh, uh, abandon you? What about the seemingly minor issues of your life? Do they matter to God? Of course they do. So you, ne- you'll, you'll, you never need to worry. You are more valuable to God than anything else in the world. Or, so that's, that's the great news this morning, that he knows everything about you from the darkest places of your life to your minute issues to your minute needs, the things that you've been like, I don't need to pray to God for that because that's so enough. He cares about them all, and he knows everything about you. And guess what? He still calls you out of the cycle that you're in. So you don't have to hide anything from him. Why? Because he already knows. Man, I hope God didn't see me do that. He did. He did. He already knows. And he already knows that you can't get yourself out of that cycle. And it's why Christ is calling you out of that hopelessness that you find yourself in. Calling you out of the cycle, the system that is not working. Like, look at the world around you. Let's just look at your life first. The cycle that you found yourself in, is it working? Is it working? No, it's not. Let's just look at the cycle that's going, the world's going in. Um, like, just look around for a second. Look at the cycle the world has found itself in. They, they implement systems and cycles and ideas, and all it's doing is bringing bring to light how depraved we really are, Right? Like, I probably shouldn't say this because it might get me fired, but some of the systems that we have to abide by in the school because, because of, you know, we're supposed to abide by in the school because of the woke agenda that's being pushed, right? Like, it's just revealing how depraved we really are from birth, right? Watch the news and watch what the government does about pushing new agendas, and it's just, you just really, and that, I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat or libertarian or whatever, like the systems that are being pushed out are just showing really how dark our souls really are and how much darkness we find ourselves in. And there's no way, as many self-help books as you read, you're not going to be able to get yourself out of the mess that we found ourselves in outside of Christ. Only his words remain. That's why, that's why I love what Luke 21, 33 says when it says, and when he, when he is uh, earth and sky will... Uh, Earth and sky will wear out and fade away before one word I spoke, I speak loses its power or fails to accomplish its purpose. It's only his words that will remain. It's only his worth. I had this conversation with somebody at school this week. Like, truth is not relative. Truth is truth, right? And your truth isn't really your truth. Your truth is a lie. The only truth that really remains is the words that Christ has spoken. Because if everybody had their own truth, there would be no such thing as truth. You with me? But all this leads to this next spectacular verse, okay? John 10, 4. And when he has brought out all his sheep, he walks ahead of them, and, and they will follow him, for they are familiar with his voice. But they will run away from strangers and, and never follow them because they know it's the voice of a stranger. I heard this story the other day um, as I was re- reading this about some shepherds in uh, 
shepherds in Australia who um, one shepherd stole another man's sheep, and and then this and the, they, this man who claimed that they were his sheep took the other man to court, saying, "This guy keeps trying to come get my sheep, and it was really his." So the judge had this grand idea. They had him bring all the sheep into the courthouse. And he, the, the man who was claiming they were his sheep um, had him go outside the courtroom door to call the sheep to follow him. Well, so he starts doing his calling, and the, and the sheep cowered in fear. But the man who were, they were stolen from goes out and calls them. The sheep immediately follow him because they recognize the voice of their father, other 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 leader. When we are true followers of Christ, it will be undoubtedly Christ who will lead. Undoubtedly, Christ who leads. If you're following your flesh, following the world, following, it'll be obvious that you're not a, really a true Christ follower. It's why the words of the psalmist says this in Psalms 119, 105, when he says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Because only his words can truly lead us out of the cycle and the system and the sin that we find ourselves in. Now, I want to make this kind of tangible, right? So I'm going to read the rest. We're just going to read the rest of chapter 10 and get into chapter 11. Which chapter 11 is, I know last week I said the blind man was my favorite story. But this is, is a close second, okay? So just bear with me as I read. I told you there's going to be a lot today, okay? Listen to this. Jesus told the Pharisees this parable, even though they didn't understand a word of, of what he meant. So Jesus went over it again. Speak to you, speak, uh, I speak to you eternal truth. I am the gate for the flock. All those who, are broke, who broke in before me are thieves who come to steal, but the sheep never listen to them. I am the gateway to enter through me is to experience life, freedom, and satisfaction. It's only through Christ that you can be truly satisfied. Not through living life through your kids, not through your job, not through having all the money. Only he can truly satisfy you. That's why in the darkest moments, darkest seasons of your life, you can still have joy because joy is based on someone and happiness is based on a happening. Things are always going to happen around you. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow because if you truly are following, there some, should be something that overflows out of you, a joy that overflows out of you. I am the good shepherd who lays down my life as a sacrifice for the sheep. With a worker who serves only for wages is not a real shepherd because he has a, no heart for their sheep. He will run away and abandon them when he sees the wolf coming. And then the wolf mauls the sheep, drags them off, and scatters, and scatters them. I alone am the good shepherd, and I know those, those whose hearts are mine, for they recognize me and know me. Just as my father knows my heart, I know my father's heart. I am ready to give my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that will gather, with, gather which are not uh, of this Jewish flock, which I'm thankful for, uh, you should be thankful for, because none of us in here are Jewish. <laughs> and I, their shepherd, must lead them too, and they will follow me and listen to my voice, and I will join them, in, join them all into one flock with one shepherd. The Father has an intense love for me because I freely give my own life to raise it up again. I surrender my, my own life. No one has the power to take my life from me. I have the authority to lay it down and the power to take it back, back again. This is the destiny my Father has set before me. This, remember, as we've read through John the whole time, he said, my hour has not come, my hour has not come. And now he's saying, my hour is coming. 
my hours here. This teaching set off another heated controversy among the Jewish leaders because that's what Jesus does. He just makes these <laughs> religious people mad. Many of them said, this man is a demon-possessed lunatic. Why would anyone listen to a word he says? But then there were others who weren't so sure. His teaching is full of insight. These are not the ravings of a madman. How could a demonized man give sight to one born blind, which is the exact argument that the blind man made, right? So maybe some religious leaders were catching on. Who knows? The time came to observe, and then moving on, it goes on like this. And it, uh, the time came to observe the winter feast of renewal. This is also known as Hanukkah, y'all. Um, Jesus walked into the temple area under Solomon's uh, covered walkway. When the Jewish leaders encircled him and said, and I love this question because Jesus has been shooting straight with them this whole time, right? How much longer will you keep us in suspense? Tell us the truth and clarify this for us once and for all. Are you really the Messiah, the anointed one? Like how many times does Jesus have to answer this question to these religious leaders, right? And Jesus answered them, I have told you the truth already and you did not believe me. The proof of who I am is revealed by all the miracles that I do in the name of the Father. Yet you stubbornly refuse to follow me because you are not my sheep. Uh-oh. But I mean, it's understandable because they claim to be sheep of Moses, right? And Abraham. Remember this whole time? <laughs> As I've told you before, my own sheep will hear my voice. And I know each one and they will follow me. I give to them the gift of eternal life and they will never be lost. And no one has the power to snatch them out of my hands. So that whole doctrine that you can lose your salvation is totally untrue because not even you can, if, I think you'd be included in, no one can snatch them from my hand, all right? So don't give me that bull crap that you can lose your salvation. I get, uh, my father who has given them to me as his gift is the, is the mightiest of all and no one has the power to snatch them from my father's care. The father and I are one. When they heard this, when they heard this, the Jewish leaders were so enraged that they picked up rocks to stone him to death. But Jesus said, "My Father has empowered me to work many miracles and acts of mercy among you. So, which one of them do you want to stone me for?" Uh oh. The Jewish leaders responded, "We're we're not stoning you for anything good you did." <laughs> it's a weird response. So they're admitting, "Hey, you've done some cool stuff, you know, but." We're not stoning you for anything good you did. It's because of your blasphemy. You're just a son of Adam, or you're just a man of sin. But you've claimed to be God. Jesus, so that other belief that says, well, Jesus never, say, never said he was God. Well, according to the religious leaders at that time, which we've seen several times that he has, right? But they even said the reason we want to kill you is because you claim to be this, all right? So Jesus answered, isn't it written in your, in, in your scriptures that God said you are God's? The scriptures, can, uh, the scriptures cannot be denied and found to be in error. And this is where, I just want to pause here just for a second. This is where like, the Mormon faith gets their belief that if you're good enough, when you die, you can become a god of another planet, um, which is not what that means at all. Okay? What, this, what, this, what this is saying is like, you know, when you become a believer, you, become, you're, you, you are one with Jesus. You, are, you, you have dominion and authority over, in, in the life where you, where you step. Right where you walk, like those, that, that God's given you authority, authority to 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 be that, just like He did with Adam and Eve. Like you go and work the land. This is your land. You do you do because work wasn't a part of sin. Work was a gift from God. Okay, so it's kind of like that. It has no not mean you're going to go be God of Jupiter one day. Okay, um, Jesus answered, "Isn't it written in your scriptures that God said you are gods? The scripture cannot be denied or found to be an error." So if those who, those who had the message 
the scriptures are said to be God's, then why would you accuse me of blasphemy? For I have been uniquely chosen by God, and he, he is the one who sent me to you. How then could it, could it be blasphemy for me to say, I am the son of God? If I'm, not, if I'm not doing the beautiful works that my father sent me to do, then don't believe me. But if, you, but if you see me doing the beautiful works of God upon the earth, then you should, be at least, you should at least believe the evidence of the miracles, even if you don't believe my words. Then you would come to experience me and be convinced that I am the Father, I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. And once again, they attempted to seize him, uh, but he escaped miraculously, miraculously from their clutches. Then Jesus went back. Um, then Jesus went back to, to the place where John had baptized him at the crossing of the Jordan. Crossing of the Jordan, and many came came out to uh, came out to where he was and said and said about him. Even though John didn't perform any miracles, everything he predicted about this man is true. Right. So I guess you're catching on that the story of Jesus is like we're about to reach the climax of the, of the crucifixion, right? But he still has some things he has to do, and that's why I love um, as we as we're about to get into the next chapter. Okay, and many people and many people became followers of Jesus at the Jordan and believed in him. So starting in verse eleven, I mean chapter eleven, verse one, it says, "In the village of Bethany there was a man named Lazarus." And this, there's a reason why I put these two chapters together. You'll see here in a minute. In the village of Bethany there were many na- a man named Lazarus and his sister Mary and Martha. Uh, his sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary was the one who would anoint Jesus' feet with costly perfume and dry his feet with her long hair. One day, Lazarus because, uh, became very sick to the point of death. So his sister sent a message to Jesus. Lord, our brother Lazarus, the one you love, is very sick. Please come. All right? And if you were just there in the moment, you would think Jesus' response was a little strange. Right? But he goes on to say, when, when he heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death for Lazarus, for Lazarus, but will bring glory and praise to God. This will reveal the greatness of the Son of God by what takes place. Now, even though, even though Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he remained where he was for two more days. Finally, on the third day, he said to his disciples, Come, it's time to go to Bethany. But teacher... They said to him, do you really want to go back there? It was just a short time ago, a, a time ago that the people of Judea were going to stone you. And Jesus replied, are there, are there not 12 hours of daylight in every day? You, can't, you, can go through, through, you can go through a day without the fear of a stumbling when you walk, walk in the one who gives light to the world. But you, will, but you will stumble when the light is not in you, for you will be walking in the dark. And there's many people in the world that's walking in the dark because they don't have a light in them. They don't have Christ in them. But this is Jesus saying like, like when there will, you will not be able to work, right? You will not be able to, to, to share the gospel. And, and this is going on in verse 11. It says, then Jesus added, Lazarus, our friend, has just fallen asleep. It's time that I go awaken him. And I love the, the disciples. It makes me feel good about how dumb I am. But when they heard this, the disciples replied, Lord, if he has just fallen asleep, then he'll get better. <laughs> and Jesus was speaking about Lazarus' death, but the disciples presumed um, he was take, talking about natural sleep. And, then, and it says this, then Jesus had to make it clear to him. He says, Lazarus is dead, y'all. <laughs> and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why would he say that? Here in a minute, we're going to read about where there's people who 
where they were like, why didn't he come save me? He healed a blind man. Why couldn't you do this? And, and he says, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because now you have another opportunity to see who I am so that you will learn to trust in me. Come, let's go see him. And I love Thomas. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, remarked to the other disciples, well, let's go so that we can die with him, you know? <sighs> Honest Thomas. Now, when they arrived at Bethany, which was only about two miles from Jerusalem, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Many friends of Mary and Martha had come from the region to console them over the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus uh, was approaching the village, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, my Lord. I wonder how many of us find ourselves in a hopeless situation sometimes, in the darkness, that, in the cycle that we're in, and we're like, my Lord. Like, if you would have just shown up, if you would have just shown up when I needed you, if you would just been here like five minutes ago, five days ago, like this, I wouldn't be where I'm at today, and, she says, my Lord, if only you had come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. And here's Martha. She's found herself, found herself in a dark, a dark place, a cycle of hopelessness. But like, I, like our story, Janelle, at the beginning of this, she was prayerful. But she was still in darkness. That just shows that you can still be in darkness. You can still, like, you can still have, there's still a ray of hope in the cycle that you're in. All right? But watch this. Watch what happens. Martha said to Jesus, my Lord, if only you had come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that if you were to ask God for anything, he would, do, uh, he would do it for you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise and live. And she replied, yes, I know he will rise with everyone else on resurrection. Now, I'm going to pause there just for a second. So, so they believed in a resurrection, that there will be a resurrection one day. Little did she know, know Jesus' response here in a second. I love it. And this is Jesus. Martha, Jesus said, you don't have to wait until then. We'll read it again because maybe you didn't catch it. You don't have to wait until then. You don't have to wait to be pulled out of your cycle. You don't have to clean yourself up to be, to be healed. Here's the great news about the gospel. And, the gospel that, and I love how... Paul says it here, he says, for he, know, he, for he says, I listened to you at, at the time of my favor. And the day when you need salvation, I came to your aid. So, you, so can't you see? Now is the time to respond to his favor. Now is the day of salvation. You don't have to wait. It's now. Your rescue is here today. Maybe you're listening to this later. Well, guess what? Your rescue is here today. You don't have to wait. You don't have to clean yourself up. Today is the day of salvation. But it goes on to, he goes on to say this. He goes, Martha, Jesus said, you don't have to wait until then. I am the resurrection. I am life eternal. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. The Aramaic says, won't be dead forever in the Aramaic, right? And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And this is Martha's, how Martha replied. Yes, Lord, I do. Maybe, some, maybe for us, we're in that dark period and we're just wondering, like, are you going to show up? And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to show up. Do you, like, do you believe? Maybe the only thing we need to say is, yes, Lord, I do. And just start walking in that faith. 
like I may not see it yet, I may not, I may not feel it yet, I may not know what you're doing yet, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let my yes be yes, and I'm just gonna follow you. I'm gonna let my yes be yes, and I'm gonna follow you. Then Martha replied, yes, Lord, I do. I've always believed that you are the anointed one, the son of God who has come into the world for us. Then she left and hurried off to her sister, Mary, and called her aside from all the mourners and whispered to her, the master is here and he's asking for you. Oh, man, the greatest news, maybe you're here and you're, and you're listening to this online later and Maybe you, you just need to know that the master is asking for you. He is asking for you by name. Wait, wait, wait. There. Let's go back to chapter 10. Remember what it says? I am the great shepherd who calls you out by name. My prayer this morning is that you hear your name being called. That you hear your name being called. The master is asking for you. Here's, it's gone, John 11, 29. So when Mary heard this, she quickly ran off to find him. Maybe more of us need to be like Mary and, well, and, and run out when, they, when we hear our name being called, just run. So when Mary heard this, she quickly ran, out, ran for Jesus was lingering outside the village at the same spot where Martha met him. Now when Mary's friends who were comforting her noticed how quickly she ran out of the house, they followed her, assuming she was, she was going to the tomb of her brother to mourn. And when Mary finally found Jesus outside the village, she fell at his feet in tears and said, Lord, if, you, if only you had been here, my brother would have died. And Jesus is like, is this on repeat? <laughs> did, did, did Martha not just tell you what I said? And when Jesus looked at Mary and saw her weeping at his feet, all her friends who were, were with her grieving, he shuddered with emotion and was deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. He said to them, where did you bury him? Lord, come with us and we'll show you. And tears streamed down Jesus' face. Because what, what the pain that you feel, he feels. And he's going to do something about it. Seeing Jesus weep caused many of the, of the mourners to say, look how much he loved Lazarus. Yet others said, isn't this the one who opened blind, opens blind eyes? Why, di why didn't he do something to keep Lazarus from dying? He loved him so much. He cares so much. He, he would do it for a stranger. But why, why, why won't he do it for a friend? And then Jesus, with an intense emotion, came to the tomb, a cave with a stone placed over its entrance. And Jesus told them, roll away the stones, because he's still rolling stones away. Then Martha said, but Lord, it's been four days since he, since he died. By now, his body is already decomposing. The King James says, his body already stinking. Love it. Smelly, boy. Jesus looked at her and said, didn't I tell you? Maybe... Some of us need to hear Jesus say to us, didn't I tell you? Like, didn't I tell you that if you, if you will believe in me, you will see God, God unveil his power? So they rolled away the heavy stone. Jesus gazed into heaven and said, Father, thank you that you have heard my prayer. Maybe we should learn that from Jesus too. Like sometimes we're like, man, is my 
prayer, and God really hearing my prayer, maybe we should start our prayers out with saying, thank you that you've heard my prayer before we even pray. You know what I'm saying? For you listen to every word I speak. Because if you'll care about the sparrow, he'll care about you much more. Now, so that these who stand here with me will believe that you have sent me to the earth as your messenger, I will use the power you have given me. Now, remember what we said in chapter, in chapter 10. What does he do? He calls his sheep out by what? Name. Then with a loud voice, Jesus shouted, Lazarus! Michael! Zane! Come out of that tomb. I love this next part because I can just picture it in my head. Then in front of everyone, Lazarus had Lazarus had died four days earlier, slowly hobbled out. Just imagine all like He still had grave clothes tightly wrapped around him, his hands and feet and covering feet and covering his face. And Jesus said to him, unwrap him and let him loose, because Christ is so good that he takes off the appearance, all appearances of your death. Not only pulls you out of the tomb, but he cleans you up. He cleans you up. So not only is he calling you out by name, not only is the master is the master asking for you, he's going to clean you up. He's going to remove every every aspect of death in your life. You're not going to stink at them anymore. From that day forward, many of those who had come to visit Mary believed in him, for they had seen with their own eyes this amazing miracle. But a few went back to inform the Pharisees about what Jesus had done. So the Pharisees and the chief priests called a special meeting of, of the high council and said, so what are we going to do about this man? It's getting close. Look at all the great miracles he's performing. Even they can see that. If we allow him to continue like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will take action and destroy both our country and our people. Now Caiaphas, the high priest that year, spoke up and said, You don't understand a thing. Don't you realize we'd be much better off if this one man were to die for the the people than for the whole nation to perish? I love that. John adds this next part because just what let's go back to 50. I'm gonna read it again and I'm gonna go into that. Okay. Don't you realize we had we'd be much better off if this one man were to die for the people than for the whole nation to perish? This prophecy that Jesus was destined to die for the Jewish people didn't come from didn't come from Caiaphas himself, but that he was moved by God to prophesy as a chief priest. I love that. That even our enemy can speak truth to us. And Jesus' death would not be for the Jewish people only, but to gather together God's children and scatter around, scattered around the world and unite them as one. So from that day on, they were committed to killing Jesus. For this reason, Jesus no longer went out in public, public among the Jews, but he went into the wilderness to, to a village called Ephraim, where he secluded himself with his disciples. Now the time came for, for the Passover preparation. And many of, of them, many, many from the countryside, went to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the feast began. And all the people kept looking out for Jesus, expecting him to come to the city. They said to themselves, while they waited in the temple court, do you think that, 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 that he will dare come to the feast? 
the leading priests and the Pharisees had given orders that they be informed immediately if anyone saw Jesus so they could seize and arrest him. It's about that time. It's about that hour. He's about to enter the city. We'll find out next week that he he knew that this was going to be his last day with his disciples. Here's the great news. It's right before he would be taken away. Right before he, he they they wouldn't they would right before he, they they would they were in their hopeless position, right where they thought they would never see Jesus again when he dies on the cross. He says, "I want you to know that I'm still rolling stones away. I'm calling you out of darkness. I'm calling you out of the grave that you find yourself in today. I'm calling you out by name." out of dead things because I'm about to come out of some dead things so that I can drag you with me. So the question becomes this morning, one, are you hearing his voice? And if you if you hear him calling your name, just step out. Just go. Start running in his calling. The master is calling. Maybe you're here and, you're a bel- and you've been a believer for a while and you're just like, Derek, I just found myself in a dark place. I found myself in a grave. I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself under layers and layers and layers and layers of debris, weight that I can't bear. What he says, I'm calling you out too. That tomb that you placed yourself in that you were never intended to be in, I'm calling you out. I want you to have life in abundance, so abundantly that it overflows out of you. God, we want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be here. And thank you that you are a God who calls us out by name, that you know the names of your children. That when you call, it's undoubtedly that it's you. So I pray for the souls here. I pray for those who are listening. I pray for those who are at home sick. God, that they hear their name being called. And that they run out of fear. I pray that, I pray that.